Okay, guys, welcome back to Common Ground. It's been a while since Lexi and I have last recorded. We are both seniors, so you know the grind, mm-hmm. right, Lex? Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely been long overdue, but Danny and I sometimes just text each other and we're like, "Man, this week it's it's just a it's a busy week." And every time Danny and I are together, we're either talking about our next Common Ground podcast. Or just how much we've been drowning in schoolwork. <laughs> yeah, it's been brutal, honestly. I don't know about all the other listeners out there, but I am feeling senioritis so heavily. Yeah, I also, just to add on to that, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I remember feeling it in high school, but now I just feel like now that we have so much more school under our belt, I'm like, okay, wait. I, I just it's can't another do level. It. It's a different level, I know. And I mean, spring break was lovely. Don't get me wrong. I loved it, but... It wasn't long enough, and I think that now we can see the light at the end of the tunnel where summer's coming, the weather's Mm. starting to warm up a little bit. It's like, I do not want to spend my days inside doing homework. I just don't. Yeah, and honestly, for me, spring break really just, I was so exhausted that it wasn't, it was fun, but it was just more like, oh my God, I got to catch up on some <laughs> sleep. I'm exhausted and drink some margaritas. Occasionally. There you go. I know. Yes, it was It was more so a break for us. It, it didn't really feel like spring. Um, we had one day in Cedar that felt nice, but yeah. um, but you were in Colorado, so you were kind of cold, right? No, it was actually nice up there. Really? Oh, I said we hit the worst, worst snowstorm of our life on the way back down. Dude, you did not tell me that. Dude, this. okay, so on the way to Colorado, it takes like eight hours to get there. On the way back, it took us 14. <gasps> no. Yeah, oh and we gosh. didn't even take like the mountain pass, so there's two ways to get there. You can go like through the bottom of Colorado or go straight through like Grand Junction, and literally like we were driving 20 miles an hour for four hours. I kid you not. It was insane. Was it just because the snowfall was yeah. so heavy? Oh, and then everyone just like decided they couldn't drive. So wow. <laughs> that's terrifying. But you're from California. So how did you adjust driving to the snow? I'm driving in quotations snow. from California, okay. not necessarily from them. It was fine. Okay. I've, lived, I've actually lived more in the snow than I haven't. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. I'm from like California and Colorado. Born oh, in Nebraska. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Danny, I'm learning all this stuff about you. That's I know. so awkward as your co-host. <laughs> I mean, okay, if you guys know, me and Lexi are super philosophical beings, and we like to talk about (laughs) politics and how the world works, and so most of the time when we're catching up and getting to know each other, we're like, what do you think about this that happened in the news? Yeah, yeah, it's true. We we go to a coffee shop, drink some tea, and talk about politics. Or go on our, like, little nature walks, because our mental health is shot because of school. Amazing, amazing. Uh, well, shout out to the political dis- uh, science department. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, today, guys, Danny's going to introduce our topic, but we are talking about the death penalty, mm-hmm. also known as capital punishment. Yes. Okay. So, just to give us a baseline definition, capital punishment is known as the death penalty. is a state-sanctioned practice of killing a person as a punishment for a crime. The sentence ordering that an offender is to be punished in such a manner is known as a death sentence. And the act of carrying out the sentence is known as execution. Okay, continuing, the Supreme Court has ruled that the death penalty does not violate the Eighth Eighth Amendment's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. But the Eighth Amendment does shape certain procedural aspects regarding when a jury may use the death penalty and how it must be carried out. Crimes that are punishable by death are known as capital crimes, 
otherwise known as capital offenses or capital felonies, and varying depending on the jurisdiction, but commonly include serious crimes against the person, such as murder, mass murder, aggravated cases of rape, often including child abuse, terrorism, aircraft hijacking, war crimes, crimes against humanity, genocide, and crimes also pertaining to the state, such as attempting to overthrow the government. (coughs) Insurrection. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, treason. That's a reference to January 6th to our non-political friends. But <laughs> And just a side note, nobody has been charged with insurrection. Yes. That is my only argument right there. <laughs> truly, truly a joke, uh, which we actually will do a Common Ground yes. podcast on that. That should be our next need, one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I'm we'll down. have student guests. So be sure to listen in to that one. We're very excited. Yes. Um, okay. Treason, espionage, sedition, and piracy, among other crimes. And then in some cases, some acts of recidivism, um, aggravated robbery, kidnapping, drug trafficking, drug dealing, drug possession. Basically, a lot of stuff can be considered a capital crime that can be used as a, a jurisdiction to prosecute for the death penalty, right? Okay, so uh, Congress, as well as any other state le- legislatures, can prescribe the death penalty for capital offenses. Um, since 1977, this might be a little outdated, but there's been more than 1,480 people that have been executed. Does that sound... Yeah, that's yeah. that's the most recent article that I found. Okay, so good. I don't think it has 2022 numbers, but I mm-hmm. think as of 2020 or 2021, my gosh. 2020, wow. 2020, we are, we are living in the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the death penalty is currently authorized in 27 states, states with Democratic Party control like Connecticut, Maryland, New Hampshire, Colorado, and Virginia have abolished the death penalty within the last decade. So I think that's, that's super important to note. Um, and as we have seen throughout the years, the death penalty has become a politicized issue. And that's why we are here talking about it today. Mm-hmm. Um, this issue used to be more salient when we were less busy. <laughs> um, Utah lawmakers rejected to repeal the death penalty on Monday, February 14th, which was a long time ago. I Lots know. of Mondays ago. Lots of Mondays ago. Yes. <laughs> yes. As the Republican led state house fell one sh- vote short of abolishing the state's death penalty. So it is still used in Utah and just an interesting side note, Utah is, I think, maybe the only one or one of the few states that uses a, a firing squad mm-hmm. to kill people, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like that's so, like, Civil War era, right, with, like, the, they put, like, a bag over someone's face. Anyway. Really? Actually, uh-huh. I, I thought it was lethal injection. No, th- well, they have it. I think okay. it's one of the methods. One of the methods. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Okay, just to wrap it up with uh, relating it to Utah, the Salt Lake Tribune found that Utah taxpayers had spent nearly $40 million in 165 death penalty cases throughout the last two decades where only two criminals had their death sentences carried out. Okay, so to begin, Lexi, do you want to do the argument against or do you want me to start with argument for? I will I will take the Republican stance on this one. Um Danny and I have talked about this, and and I think we'll get into it on the podcast because, I mean, I have no issue talking about my moral stances, but I will take the Republican Party stance um, and then kind of follow up with my personal beliefs because I think the death penalty is one of the most interesting situations, and um, and you hear that common reference, oh, the Republican Party, if you're pro-life, then why are you in favor of killing people? Mm. Mm-hmm. it's it's a hard one and honestly that's that's one thing that it's like yeah well how do we how do we back that 
Um, so in my personal belief, I do believe that it is situation by situation, but we'll, we'll come to that in a little bit. Okay, so just a little bit of history. Um, in the Supreme Court case, Gregg versus Georgia, the court refused to expand Furman, which was the 1972 case. Yep. Um, the court held that the death penalty was not per se unconstitutional as it could serve the social purposes of retribution and deterrence. Specifically, the court upheld Georgia's new capital sentencing procedures, reasoning that the Georgia rules reduced the problem of arbitrary application as seen in earlier statutes. Um, so I do believe that the death penalty should still stand. Um, but again, this is one of the most difficult issues to take a firm stance on. So one of the most interesting things, and I was doing it while, while I was doing a little bit of research, you know, you hear the, the, common, the common arguments for it is saying that it brings justice towards the victim's family, um, economic reasons. Um, but I think the one that stood out to me the most was um, the death penalty is to serve as an example to other would-be criminals to deter them from committing murders or terrorist acts. And I thought about that for a while. And it really made me think that, yeah, I mean, if if you are a high-end criminal that wants to, I don't know, kill a lot of people, these, I mean, I mean, again, I don't live in a psychopath's mind, but these people are thinking, well, Do what's you the, though? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, are you in favor of the death penalty? <laughs> um, it just makes you think like maybe in their minds, they're saying the worst thing that can happen to me is I'm just in a, in a cage for the rest of my life. Um, but then again, I, I have, I have to say, I also believe that someone like that should think about what they did for the rest of their lives. That's, that's a hard thing. And, and you and I will probably talk about that later on. That's one thing that I can definitely see both sides on, but I guess to deter these people from committing such a violent act. Yeah. They'd be like, well, I, I could be on death row. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like the idea of knowing that my life will come to an end before I have a say. Um, another thing to add, and this was a really uh, important statistic that I found, is that fewer people were, were executed in 2020 than any other year for nearly three decades. Don't get me wrong, a lot of it was because of the pandemic. 2020 was a crazy year, but executions have fallen sharply so uh, so much within the last 30 years, which is, which is good. Um, so I guess... I mean, that means that less people are committing these high-end crimes. And to go along with that, crime fell sharply in recent decades. The number of murders and manslaughters fell from nearly 25,000 in 1991 to less than 15,000 in 2010. Mm. So I think I think that's important to note as people are, I don't know, moving forward as humans. And they're like, well, I don't want to be on death row for the rest of my life. Or from your stance, they're being deterred. Right, yeah. Committing these uh, heinous crimes. Right, right. mm-hmm. Okay, so earlier you kind of made reference to a court case, Furman v. Georgia, which mm -hmm. I want to just briefly mention before going into further analysis later on in the podcast because it's I want to talk about the, the deterrence aspect before. But just Furman v. Georgia, just for you listeners out there, um, it was a Supreme Court case in 1972 that basically invalidated any existing death penalty laws because they were constituted as cruel and unusual punishment back then because they um, inherently discriminated against those of poor socioeconomic status and other minority groups. Um, there's other case studies that basically, basically go into analysis of when the court and the jury decides to charge someone with the death penalty. And usually 
most of the time it's based off of biases, but that's for a later argument. Um, to go into the aspect of deterrence, that's a really big argument, right? Having these criminals be deterred or other criminals that want to commit, you know, uh, replica crimes, right? Because we do see that. We do see those, like, I don't know what you call them, <laughs> imposter or, <laughs> I don't know, those people that, like, want to recreate those crimes, right? right. Like the copycat. Yep. Yeah, copycat. Uh-huh. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. what I mean to say, copycat crimes. And so a big argument is does capital punishment deter these offenses? And so deterrence comes with three main elements, okay? There's certainty, celerity, and severity. So certainty is, first, people do not violate laws if they are certain that they will be caught and punished, right? Someone's not going to go out and kill someone unless, you know, they're a psychopath. Um, If they know that, oh, wait, there is a punishment for this. That's the basis of most of our laws. Like, you don't do this act because you will be punished. Um, unfortunately, that's how we are deterred as human beings for the most part. I don't think a lot of us live on grounds of morality, but I take a more cynical stance on life anyway, but whatever. <laughs> um, celerity refers to the elapsed time between the commission of the offense and the administration of punishment. So in theory, this basically the more quickly a punishment is carried out, the less likely those type of crimes or recidivism of that crime is to occur, which is a really big point to make because... Um, punishment for capital offenses and being on death row does take a long time. It's it's a very lengthy process to actually execute someone. Um, so for me, that point is kind of moot because it, we're, we don't have uh, celerity in that aspect because it takes a ton of time to actually kill someone for their crimes. Um, and then third, the basically the severity of the punishment, right? We look at that as a deterrent. How severe is the punishment for the crime? Um, Over the last two decades, more and more scholars and citizens have realized that the deterrent effect of a punishment is not a consistent direct effect of of its severity. So after a while, increases in the severity of punishment no longer add to deterrent benefits. So it's like a slope, I guess, in terms of this research that basically you meet like a threshold of, you know, severity of punishment that actually deters crime. Um, And then, in fact, increases in punishment severity have decreasing incremental deterrent effects, if that makes sense, where it's just like, oh, my God, this punishment, I guess, is so severe that it doesn't really deter the crime is what they're trying to get at. Yeah. So just to conclude, the majority of deterrent studies have failed to support the hypothesis that the death penalty is a more effective deterrent to criminal homicides in comparison to long term imprisonment. Mm -hmm. So for me, just in the case of deterrence, um, there really hasn't been any effective studies on how punishment in the form of, you know, killing someone is more effective than keeping them in prison for a long time. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a really solid point to bring up. I again, and and it's hard to say because our lifetime. I mean, we've only been well. You were born in two thousand two, or well, I mean two thousand or ninety nine. Ninety eight. Ninety eight. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's right. Okay, I was born in two thousand. Um, so when I think of these these mass shooters um, that have been caught that weren't killed in the act, or um, and I can give a, an example of one is the most recent. Uh, 2018 Parkland uh, shooter who Mm -hmm. uh, notoriously shot up the high school. He was caught. I don't believe he has been sentenced to death yet. They have been conducting their investigation on him and pretty much what made him commit the act that he did. So 
again, that's been four years. That was four years ago. But if I had to guess, I would say they would most likely sentence him to death. Um, and I think that'll be interesting because, again, that was a recent event that happened in our lifetime. And then we'll be able to um, kind of see what happens there. But I guess bringing up the point of what you, or going back to the point that you made um, of talking about like more criminal homicides and people are less likely to uh, commit those kind of crimes. And I think it's important to note how I talked about how crime fell sharply in recent decades. And that was between like ma- mass crimes and also homicides like that. So that that is a super positive note. And I mean, again, people aren't going to want to be sentenced to life or death in jail because of the crimes that they committed. Mm. Um just and I, I was sorry, I'm kind of going about this in a roundabout way, um, but I was going to bring up the Federal Death Penalty Act uh, signed by President Bill Clinton. This was the federal execution of Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber under President George Bush and President Obama seek the death penalty against the Boston Marathon bomber and then Dylan Roof, the American white supremacist who killed a lot of people in 2015. So my my point being is I think in these most recent mass crimes, people have been able to see that these people that have wanted to commit these mass crimes, um, they will be sentenced to death. So I think it has, I mean, and we haven't seen the likelihood of these kind of bombers out really since Mm. as yeah yeah no I I, there's nothing I mean I feel like this is so hard to say that this is the causality of why we don't see these crimes being repeated you know um there's so many other factors that could go into deterring crime Mm -hmm. even reallocating funding to uh, basically ways of improving communities um, maybe education for these people or other I don't I don't I don't really know the sociological aspect of this side of life where they have like it's kind of like that whole not to bring it to this but like uh, defunding police thing mm-hmm. where it's like you reallocate the resources that are going to there to actual programs that are more skilled in dealing with mental health crisis um, and stuff like that mm-hmm. that's the whole point I'm trying to make so it's great that crime has gone down. Like my argument isn't like, oh, like the death penalty, you know, is 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 not the cause of crime going down at all. Um, but there's other factors that we should take into s- consideration sure. that can totally affect why crime is decreasing. For sure. So you're basically saying that just because this cause doesn't mean that it's the, the only cause. Yes. It's, yep. uh, okay. It's more of like there's there's other like spurious variables yep yep here we are <laughs> Lexi knows I'm Barrett. in yeah <laughs> thanks Rick Barry um I'm in research methods for political science this semester Lexi took it two years ago two years ago yep yeah. spring of 2020 anyway whole, whole point being is that there's other confounding variables out there that can affect you know crimes for sure that stuff yeah no and I and I absolutely agree with that I think but again and I do think you know if we are executing um, less amount of people. I still think it's important to have the death penalty in place. So it's kind of that that fear for people being like, well, I actually don't want to be sentenced to death. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But I even said that it, it the deterrence, just a question, like if, if the actual punishment of death, right, because that was the whole point of the research that I cited, um, the deterrence of death isn't as effective as long-term imprisonment. Mm-hmm. And even like, 
there's a threshold that you meet once the severity of the punishment like exceeds it. Mm-hmm. Um, deterrence of the crime is basically it goes down. It's like a negative relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So with that being said, like, is the death penalty really that effective? Yeah, I think um, I think that is a super important study to bring up for the research that you just really talked about. Um, again, I mean, it's it's hard to say because we aren't seeing this this these mass crimes being committed frequently. I think if we were, which thank goodness we're not, I think it probably would be more of more effective if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So let's continue. There's there's so many there's so many different ways to look at why the death penalty is honestly an ineffective manner of punishing people. In my opinion, there's incapacitation, caprice and bias. Uh, there's the cost, miscarriages of justice, um, and also there's a retribution argument. And so we have all of these points here. And for me, I think the biggest one that I'm worried about is obviously caprice and bias and the miscarriages of justice aspect of the death penalty because death is final. Once you sentence someone to death, there is no coming back from it. And there have been cases where people have been sentenced to die or have, you know, ridden along on death row, which is a pretty brutal area to be in, in the prison system for years and years and years, solitary confinement. There's a book out there. I forget what it's called, but basically you're underneath this shadow of death like you're not really a part of society you're not a part of a prison system basically they've given up all hope for you in terms of you know rejoining society so you're just shunned and locked away in horrible conditions um and then there's people that are innocent of these crimes right so we're putting people through this pretty brutal process and at the end of the tunnel, it's not like there's light. It's like, you're about to die, bro. <laughs> you're about to be executed. This is horrifying. Um, and we see these people that are either, you know, incarcerated wrongly or even just questioning the severity of a crime. Does this constitute as a crime that should be characterized as, you know, first demeanor murder or first demeanor, you know, a first demeanor crime that results in in the death of this person um so to go back to the the law case that i cited earlier Furman, basically at the time they thought the death penalty was applied in a way um that would basically promote racial and class bias people who were from certain groups of socioeconomic status and races were uh basically criminalized and prosecuted more heavily than others okay so basically why they decided to pull the death penalty back then was because they wanted to review this process and make sure that they would avoid the arbitrariness that would lead to this prosecution of these classes okay so basically in the modern era we've obviously have death penalty laws that have tried to answer you know how do we keep this from affecting certain groups um but basically there's still evidence within our justice system that basically if the victim of the crime, not the, commit, the the person who committed it, if the victim of the crime is white instead of any other racial class, 
the prosecutor has a higher likelihood of getting the death penalty for the person who committed the crime. So in the case that I'm citing, it says it's four times more likely for a victim of who is white um, to get basically, I guess, retribution through the death penalty rather than a black or Latino or so on and so forth. Um, They also found the race of the defendants to be something that was taken into consideration when sentencing them. It's not as focused on as the race of the victim, but there was a problem of racial bias in the administration of the death penalty in terms of the defendant being, you know, non-white. So, uh, Amnesty International, this is someone that, or an organization that also uh, helped produce this research, concluded that it was undeniable that the death penalty in the United States is applied disproportionately on the basis of race, ethnicity, and social status. Mm-hmm. I think that is very important to bring up. Um, and again, I mean, the research shows. I do think, um, again, I mean, the death penalty being approved by the Supreme Court is still fairly recent. Um, You take those two Supreme Court cases that were in the 1970s, that was less than 10 years from when the civil rights movement ended. So I I mean, again, and I I would totally agree that between 1970, we'll just round up to 1970 and 2000, I mean, the United States was still overcoming a lot of change and people were still getting over biases that they have. I mean, people are still getting over biases today, 20 years later from 2000. Um, But I think it's also important to note how much progress that we have made as a nation regarding racism. And I'm not doubting that, I mean, there is still personal biases within um, the judicial system, but I would almost guarantee that the most of the statistics were probably close after the civil rights movement ended. And also... Um, and I just, I just had looked this up of the last time a wrongful conviction happened. And again, I think there's 183 or 86. Let's see. 186. Yeah. One is way too many. And in that point, and that's, that's terrible. And I mean, we mourn for those families who lost their sons or daughters for wrongful executions. But I mean, the last one that, um, happened was in 1989. So I also think it's important to note how much progress, um, our court system has, overcome since I mean that was almost what was that 30 years ago almost 40 years ago so yeah I think I think it's important to know how much progress that we have made as a nation um, but there is there is still still more to come for sure yeah and I think another big point is not even just the racial aspect of it but you know the poverty aspect of it right uh, they've done research on the quality of attorneys assigned to the poor because obviously poor people can't afford the most luxurious attorney to get them out of you know, bad situations. And in this case, like the attorneys that were assigned to them were terrible. Basically, there's dozens of cases cited where uh, the death sent people who were convicted of the death sentences or were, you know, allegedly or trying to be convicted of the death sentence um, were giving defense attorneys who were drunk (laughs) using drugs. uh, They were racist against their own clients, unprepared or outright unqualified to practice criminal laws or otherwise incompetent because these lawyers would basically, you know, submit a bid to become their lawyer. And some of these lawyers were working below minimum wage in order to represent these people because one who's paying for the lawyers is probably subsidized by the government, I think, Mm -hmm. or, you know, the poor people just like literally cannot 
afford them, right? Um, and so basically state governments are increasingly appointing attorneys in capital cases who submit the lowest bids, right? Uh, compensated less than minimum wage. And then those sentenced to, de- to death are often distinguishable from other defendants convicted of murder, not on the basis of the heinousness of the crime. So not on the basis of how bad was that crime, but instead on the basis of the quality of their defense attorneys. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to go along with that, I think, I mean, your heart just goes out to those people that, I mean, they really want a fair shot, but it doesn't seem like they really were getting a fair shot to prove that they are innocent or that they were innocent. Um, I saw a quote from the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she was talking about the death penalty. And obviously she wasn't in favor of the death penalty. She was kind of talking about the point that you just made about these uh, poorer people who um, couldn't afford these attorneys. And she said a part of the reason why the executions have gone down within the last three decades is because um, these people that can't afford attorneys are getting better representation in the courtroom, which Mm. is great. It is. And I think, again, that just shows how much progress that we have made within the the court system. That's a great point. She's a smart woman. Yeah, rest in peace, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You were awesome and yeah. Yeah, no, a great woman, a great woman for sure. We love her. Yep, she did a lot. <laughs> yeah, she did a lot for for women, especially. Yeah, That's especially why we're hyping it up. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, and then the last point that Danny and I are going to bring up is talking about um, retribution. Um, here, one argues that justice requires the death penalty. Those who commit the bo- the most premeditated or heinous murders should be executed simply on the grounds that they deserve it. A big thing with this is bringing justice towards the victim's family. I I saw a quote and it was like, get an eye for an eye, which sounds honestly terrible. But um, I mean, again, and I, I was thinking to myself yesterday while I was doing some research is if you were a part of the victim's family, how would you like it if um, the people got to decide like if if the murderer of your family member was to die, wouldn't you then kind of feel responsible for their death? Isn't you, that interesting? You know what's funny is that there's actually a presidential nominee. Do you know who this candidate is? He was a Democratic candidate. I forget. Um, might have been, he was. I think he was. Run, it might have been Al Gore. Could have been. Al I think Gore. he was running against Bush. I don't remember who it was, uh-huh. so don't quote me on it. But. Basically, he got asked the same question. So he was he was a Democratic uh, running candidate, and he was asked by uh, a reporter, like, oh, if, like, someone were to kill your wife, like, wouldn't you want the death penalty? And he was basically like, no. And he lost the election because, yes. of, that, because of that. Yeah. Um, for me, my innate little monkey brain obviously would want <laughs> retribution if someone – were to do something crazy to my family, I'm not even going to go down the list of what they could do that would make me want to kill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that would be a big, big factor um, into seeking retribution. But that's why we have a jury and a judge. Mm-hmm. And to go back to quotes, two wrongs don't make a right. right. You know, So for me to have my personal emotions play into it, of course I would want some form of retribution for a person. But also morally, I really like... I don't know. I'm kind of. I'm not a person that's like, yeah, just put that person to death because they, they, uh, they did something to my family or whatever. I would want to see them suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> I would want them to be in prison for a long time, going through that life. But that's just me personally. Um, in terms of retribution for the masses as a whole, basically, there's no 
empirical justification from the sides of families about the short-term and long-term effects of what the death penalty has done mm-hmm. to give them solace about whatever crime they experienced from from uh, that person to onto their family or right whatever and so a what a lot of or what from what i've read which was a great point that i just want to bring up is that the d- death penalty costs a lot a lot of money it costs mm-hmm. millions of dollars in comparison it costs millions of dollars to kill someone in comparison to long-term incarceration which is like i think average six hundred thousand uh annually mm-hmm. okay so they're diverting a vast amount of resources into death penalty cases that could be reallocated into helping those families that have been affected you know um and so basically those resources could be going to homicide cases that maybe aren't first degree murder that are you know lower in the hierarchy of what is you know termed as awful and you know first degree second degree that type of thing sorry i'm not a criminology major so i don't really know how to (laughs) classify those things so basically there's less resources for victims of non-capital homicides and then basically all families of all homicide victims and then there's the other side of the coin where the death penalty, let's say like, you know, your family member does get killed and you're seeking the death penalty and it doesn't, you know, that's that's not what the jury and the court comes to. Then you're like, oh, okay, the death of my family member is less important than somebody else's because I didn't get the death penalty for the person who committed it. So, yeah, so basically my whole point is retribution. How does it affect the family members? We don't know. Yeah, no, and I think that's that's super important to bring up, and I think any person who lost a family member to um, a terrible crime would be like, well, absolutely, I, I hate that person. I don't want them around. That's a hard one because, again, like we really don't know the statistic with that. Um, and another thing, too, while you were talking is you think about how much money the death penalty does cost, which I will agree with you. I think we can find common ground there and how we could reallocate that money, but a lot of these people get the option of lethal injection when the person that they killed probably suffered. So these people really aren't suffering. They're getting a last meal. They're just getting put to death. And in retrospect, they don't get to think about what they did every single day. And that'll kind of lead me into my personal opinions, my moral opinions. Again, I'm taking the Republican stance here, and I do think that um, the death penalty should stand like Danny and I had talked about, about deterrence, but I think there are some points there that we definitely can't agree on. But um, as I was thinking, is as people as a whole, how do we get to decide someone else's fate? And I mean, and that's where my moral beliefs come in. And I personally believe that if, um, I mean, we shouldn't be the ones to decide what's going to happen to them. I think eventually people will get what they deserve, whether it's good, whether it's bad. Um, in the afterlife. But again, our founding fathers created this representative republic for us to decide what happens in these situations. Um, President Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address, government of the people, by the people, and for the people. So in these situations, us as people, we need to take charge. And whether that means, you know what, we, um, if someone commits this a crazy act of violence or a a massive crime, then if the death penalty is the best option, then maybe we should be the ones to decide what happens to them. But again, that that is hard. That is that is a tough one, and I think that's why this issue is not uh, black or white. I think um, everyone could probably take a 
tentative stance, but it would be so difficult to take such a firm stance on this issue but when someone's life is on the line. Yeah, no, I uh, actually agree with Lexi's stance here. So don't get me wrong. I really do agree with all the points that I argued. I know I'm taking more of the Democratic stance, but I do side with it, tend to side with it. Um, but if there was no law or if there is no uh, court procedures or whatnot, what I decide to do with a person that hurt my family members would not be normal. Let's just leave it at that. I would I would do what I want with them mm-hmm. in a world where I could. But, you know, I, that's why I'm kind of grateful that we have a system in place in which I could not. If, if, you know, it came down to that where I have to go through the court and get that justly applied because let's say I do take this person and torture them on my own accord, which is probably what I would do. Um, I would probably have some serious mental health side effects of that. Um, yeah, Lexi makes a great point about the process of democracy uh, of the people for the people by the people, whatnot, right? And right now, uh, Americans are in favor of the death penalty. I think the majority of Americans still support it, which is why we see many states not abolishing it. And as a country, we have not federalized or uh, ele- made the death penalty illegal at a federal level in, to com- in comparison to other countries that have. And that's because the people don't want it. Yep, yep. And then, I mean, it all is also important to note about the states that have abolished it. They are listening to their constituents and they're saying, yeah, we would like the death penalty abolished. So I think in that sense, we see both state and the federal government working and listening to the people as a whole. Yep, completely agree. Well, thanks guys for tuning in. That ends our podcast. And until next time when we can hopefully talk about (gasps) January 6th. January 6th. Oh my gosh. Over a year later. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon.